Welcome to the Whole House Podcast, where you can find home, health, and family all in one place. Our team is comprised of moms from different upbringings and backgrounds. We each have different giftings and passions representing individual rooms, and together we are the Whole House. So grab a cup of coffee and join us for the Whole House Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to Positive Adoption, part of my room and the Whole House. I've been doing a series on the attachment styles and in children. So if you missed the first one, go back to that one and listen to attachment parenting if you want the whole scoop. It's really important for us as foster and adoptive parents to understand attachment styles. And here's the reason. When a child moves into a new placement, he will use the attachment style he already knows. This is why it is important to understand attachment styles. And I've said on the podcast before, there are adult attachment styles and children attachment styles. There are four. And the adult ones are just slightly a little bit different. So, and that's just important enough to note. But the four attachment styles, just reviewing here for a minute, are secure, avoidant, resistant or ambivalent, and disorganized. And today I'm going to talk about resistant or ambivalent. And just a funny little note here. So um, I was on our iTunes account and I noticed that the podcast that was named Avoidant was being avoided, like it wasn't getting as many listens as the other one, which I mentioned to my husband, Jerry, and he thought that was hilarious, that because of the word avoidant, people were avoiding listening to that. So if you've avoided that one because you don't want to listen to one about avoidant attachment, I would suggest that you um, listen to it just because it's super important. I struggled with um, some avoidant attachment, and I still do struggle with some of that. We all, we don't just stay in one attachment style, and that's both good news and bad news. Like We can get to earn secure, which is great, and our kiddos can too, but we can also slip through the attachment styles on any given day at any given moment with any given trigger, and so can our kiddos. So it's important to remember that. Now, just again for a review, the attachment cycle is as simple as it is profound. I'll just say in this instance, a child expresses a need, and then the parent meets the need, and then the attachment cycle is complete over and over and over and over again. And this begins in infancy when the infant has a need and the parents meet the need. They know that the child, the, the infant, I'm sorry, needs fed, they need changed, and they begin to recognize what kind of cry that infant is having. And when we are fostering, or we've adopted, we have to recognize the patterns in our children. Maybe they don't have a voice. Maybe they don't know that it's okay to use words to express their needs. And it's something we have to be patient with and begin to teach them, you know what, you can use your words. I can remember one instance when my children were little and my youngest had had a cleft palate repair So he did have that. He was learning how to speak with his new palate. 
but he also had gotten into a pattern of just squealing and yelling when he wanted something. And having six other siblings who were older than him, they were more than happy to meet the needs of this cute little one, to get him the toy or to get him the cookie or whatever it was. And so he had developed this habit of screeching for his needs and not using words, even though I had been doing speech therapy with him and he was making great progress in verbal skills. He hadn't made that connection that those verbal skills that I had been working with him several times a day were a form of getting his needs met. And I remember when he had the epiphany that that's what those things were for. All of that time I had been spending with him teaching him how to say car or truck or may I or whatever words we happened to be working on at that time. It all came to a head one day when all of my kids were sitting around the table and um, we were all having cookies. So I passed cookies around to everyone but him. Now, this might sound cruel, but the the fruit of this experience was just phenomenal. So he didn't have a cookie. So he started doing his regular screeching, yelling, and all of his siblings wanted to give him a cookie because he was so cute. He was only two at the time, a little blonde, toe-headed boy. And um, I said, no. He's going to ask for the cookie. So I led him through, may I have a cookie? And his sounded more like, may I have a cookie? And so then he got a cookie. And the look on his face, the light, the light bulb moment for him was, Oh my goodness. Now, he was only two, so it wasn't like he was thinking, this is what words are for. But there was some sort of connection there. And from that point forward, it wasn't as difficult. It was still difficult, but it wasn't as difficult to get him to use his words. So I'm telling you that story because we have to work with these kids, be patient with them, the same way we would want people to be patient with us. And when they come to us with an attachment style, other than secure, maybe they haven't learned that their words are the way that they express their needs. Maybe they have learned that crying or screaming or yelling or whatever was in their former home was the way that you got your needs expressed. And that is a great lead-in to ambivalent. So resistant and ambivalent, the child develops a stay near mom strategy. These children use negative emotions to gain attention. They exhibit angry, resistant behavior toward the caregiver and exaggerated fearfulness. They tend to suppress their feelings and expect caregivers to be inconsistently available. These children expect parents to be preoccupied. So if, if a child comes to you with resistant, ambivalent behavior or attachment, it's because their needs have not been met 
consistently, and they expect their caregivers to be preoccupied. And in in a child's world, if your needs are not being met and the people who are supposed to care for you are preoccupied, it only makes sense that you're going to be fearful. It only makes sense that you're going to stay close to that caregiver. It only makes sense that you are going to exaggerate your fearfulness or you might be whiny or you might be like my youngest was. You might be voicing whatever your needs are by squealing and screaming. And, you know, all of us have seen it and all of us have done it, honestly, where we are busy, we are preoccupied with something. Maybe it's your phone, maybe it's a conversation with another adult and you have a child pulling on your shirt or pulling on your arm. Mom, 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 mom. Or dad, 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 and you're, you know, I'm busy right now. And that's normal. You know, sometimes we are busy. Or we can say, can you wait? Can you wait? As long as we follow through with whenever we're finished with that conversation, whenever we're finished with that phone call or that series of texts that we say, okay, what do you need? We need to reassure our children we are there for them, that they are not forgotten. Because honestly, when we feel forgotten as humans, we're going to make either every effort that someone notices that we're there, or we're going to shut down and close ourselves off and just not Because we don't feel valuable, we're going to act as if we're discarded. So our kids come to that to us with those same feelings, those same experiences of someone being too preoccupied. And I'm not saying that just because you have a phone call that you are going um, to ruin your child. I'm not saying that at all. We have to remember there are extremes Extreme behaviors of an adult being preoccupied means that they're always preoccupied. They're never meeting their child's needs. It's to the point where the child feels like they have to scream and yell to get the attention of their parents or caregivers, whoever they are, whatever home they came from. So we have to remember those things. And it's so easy to forget because when a child comes into our home, we just, it's just an automatic kind of thing. We're just like, okay, they're good now. They're safe, secure. They have a warm, comfortable bed to sleep in. They have food to eat. They have family who's going to take care of them. Even if it's just for a season, you know, if you're foster parents and you know this is just for a season, you've got all of those things in your mind. Well, they don't have those things in their mind. <laughs> to you, to them, you are, you know, as my son said, um, you're weird. I remember talking to my youngest two. This is when they were in high school, and I was having this conversation with them about, you know, how the perception of a child when they're adopted, when they first come into the home. And my kids are great about sharing their feelings about these kinds of things. And my youngest son said, well, they might think that you're a werewolf. 
And I was like, okay, I think we're getting a little extreme there. So I started thinking about it and I was like, okay, tell me what you mean by that. And he said, well, they might think that you're weird. They don't know. Maybe you turn into a werewolf at night. So remember that when your kids are coming home to you, they might think you're a werewolf. They don't know anything about you. You have this you know, this love and this overwhelming desire to meet this child's needs and to make them feel like part of a family and to make them feel secure. Well, maybe they don't even know what a family is supposed to look like. Maybe family to them means that everybody, all the adults around you are so preoccupied with themselves and whatever they're doing. And it may be drinking, it may be drugs, it may just be stress, loss of a job, or, you know, whatever it is, we all have those things, but maybe the child is coming from a home where everyone was too preoccupied to meet their needs, and so they come to you fearful and anxious and and ready to express that they have a need in a way that is not acceptable socially, or maybe is frightening to you, or you don't understand, like, what is going on? So, and remember um, my son's example. He had a cleft palate when he was born, so therefore when he got to be a toddler and he was having his second surgery, like, he literally could not speak yet. So after the surgery, he, you know, that's when children begin to express their needs with words, and we're teaching them either signing if they're having a difficult time speaking at first. And then we're teaching them words. And we say things like, use your words. Well, he couldn't use his words. But that example of sitting around the table and him asking for a cookie, I mean, everybody cheered. It was amazing when he said, may I have a cookie? And just like that little, it's almost like I could see that little light bulb above his head just click on like, Oh my goodness, that's what these things are for that I'm supposed to use my mouth for. So we have to think about it from their perspective. And I'll read you one little more, one other little thing. This is from my book, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos. And I have a whole chapter on children's attachment styles in there. So, and I had talked about in another podcast the strange situation, Mary Ainsworth little experiment. And so in that experiment with ambivalent attachment, these infants showed intense stress when separated from their mother. They displayed fear of the stranger. Oddly, they showed distress but refused to be comforted when their mother returned. So if you missed that, you can go back and listen to the podcast where I talk about that. But just in short, it's um, so they bring a, an infant about 12 months into the room with a mother and then a stranger, which is actually a researcher, comes into the room. And then I can't remember the exact order, but it's on that other podcast. Uh, and so the, the mother leaves the room and then she comes back and then the stranger leaves the room and then she comes back. So there's this whole series of things. I think it's like eight things. I'm trying to find it. But anyway, you can go back and listen to that podcast. I'm going down a rabbit hole here. But let me finish with this because I'm over my 15 minutes. Just remember that whatever attachment style that you can promote 
and your foster or adoptive child. They can take that to their next placement or carry on into their adult life because attachment is transferable. And that's just one of the amazing things. It's a scientific thing and it's amazing. So I will see you next week on Positive Adoption. Bye. We're so glad you could join us on the Whole House Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. Follow us on our Facebook page and on Instagram at the underscore whole underscore house. You can also follow us on thewholehouse.org by email to receive our newsletter and keep up to date on things happening at the Whole House.